0: I'm Elena Kagan, and this is the Lawfare Podcast, July 25th, 2019. On Wednesday, former special counsel Robert Mueller testified before the House Judiciary and Intelligence Committee. There was plenty of repetition and plenty of pontification, so we cut out all that to bring you just the testimony that you need to hear. Not only that, but in both committees, the Democratic and the Republican members advanced very different narratives about the Mueller report and investigation. Watching the questions alternate between the two almost gave the viewer a sense of whiplash. So we've done something a little different for this No Bull podcast. We've combined all the Democratic No Bull questions into one segment and the Republican No Bull questioning into another. And here are the Republican members of the House Judiciary and Intelligence Committees questioning Mueller. It's Robert Mueller versus the committee with No Bull, just the Republicans.
1: Gentlemen from Georgia,
2: Mr.
3: Collins. Is it true the evidence gathered during your investigation, uh, given the questions that you have just answered, is it true the evidence gathered during your investigation did not establish that the President was involved in the underlying crime related to Russian election interference, as stated in Volume 1, Page 7?
4: We found uh, insufficient uh, evidence of uh, uh, the President's culp- culpability.
3: Uh, so that would be a yes.
4: With that uh, — I'm pardon? pardon.
3: That would be a yes. 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 Thank you. Isn't it true the evidence did not establish that the President or those close to him were involved in the charged Russian computer hacking or active measure conspiracies or that the President otherwise had unlawful relationships with any Russian official? Volume two, page 76. Correct?
4: I I, uh, leave the answer to the uh, report.
3: So, yes. Is that any true your investigation did not establish that members of the Trump campaign conspired or coordinated with Russian government in the election interference activity? Volume one, page two. Volume one, page 173. Thank you. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Although your report states, collusion is not a specific offense, and you have said that this morning, or a term of art in federal criminal law, conspiracy is. In the colloquial context, are collusion and conspiracy essentially synonymous terms? You're going to have to repeat that for me. Collusion is not a specific offense or a term of art in the federal criminal law. Conspiracy is. In the colloquial context, Known public context, collusion collusion and conspiracy are essentially synonymous terms, correct? No. If no, on page 180 of volume one of your report, you wrote, as defined in legal dictionaries, collusion is largely synonymous with conspiracy as that crime is set forth in the General Federal Conspiracy Statute 18 U.S.C. 371. You said at your May 29th press conference and here today, you choose your words carefully. Are you sitting here today testifying something different than what your report states?
4: Well, what I'm asking is, if you can give me the citation, I can look at the citation and uh, evaluate whether it is
3: accurate. Okay, let me just be clarified. You stated that you would stay within the report. I just stated your report back to you. And you said that collusion, collusion and conspiracy were not synonymous terms. That was your answer was no. That's correct. In that, page 180 of volume one of your report, it says... As defined in legal dictionaries, collusion is largely synonymous with conspiracy as that crime is set forth in General Conspiracy Statute, 18 U.S.C. 371. Now, you said you chose your words carefully. Are you contradicting your report right now? Not when I read it. So you would change your answer to no, yes, then? No, the, uh, If you look at the language. I'm reading your report, sir. It's yes, a yes sir, or page, no answer. Page 180. Page 180, Volume 1. Okay. This was from your report. Correct. And I, uh, I, I uh, leave it with the uh, report. So the report says, yes, they are synonymous. Yes. Hopefully, for finally, out of your own report, we can put to bed the collusion and conspiracy. One last question as we're going through. Did you ever look into other in countries investigated in the Russian uh, interference into our election? Were other countries investigated or found I, knowledge that I, they I, had an
5: interference in our election?
4: I'm not going to discuss uh, other matters.
3: generally
5: Good morning, Director. Uh, If you'll let me quickly summarize your opening statement this morning. You said in volume one on the issue of conspiracy, the special counsel determined that the investigation did not establish that members of the Trump campaign conspired or coordinated with the Russian government in its election interference activities. And then in volume two, for reasons that you explained, the special counsel did not make a determination on whether there was an obstruction of justice crime committed by the president. Is that fair? Yes, sir. All right. Now, in explaining that special counsel did not make what you called a traditional prosecution or declination decision, the report on the bottom of page two of volume two reads as follows. The evidence we obtained about the president's actions and intent presents difficult issues that prevent us from conclusively determining that no criminal conduct occurred. Accordingly, while this report does not conclude that the president committed a crime, it also does not exonerate him. Now, uh, I read that correctly? Yes. All right. Now, your report, and today you said at all times the special counsel team operated under, was guided by, and followed Justice Department policies and principles. So, which DOJ policy or principle sets forth a legal standard that an investigated person is not exonerated if their innocence from criminal conduct is not conclusively determined?
4: Can you repeat the last part of that question?
5: Yeah. Which DOJ policy or principle sets forth a legal standard that an investigated person is not exonerated if their innocence from crim- criminal conduct is not conclusively determined? Um, Where does that language come from, Director? Where is the DOJ policy that says that? Can you—let me make it easier. Can I— Is,
4: can I is there—
5: I'm is, sorry, go ahead. It, can you give me an example other than donald trump where the justice department determined that an investigated person was not exonerated because I, their I, innocence was not conclusively determined
4: I, I, I cannot but this is a unique okay situation. well
5: i you can't time is short i've got five minutes let's just leave it at you can't find it because i'll tell you why it doesn't exist the special counsel's job nowhere does it say that you were to conclusively determine donald trump's innocence or that the special counsel. Report should determine whether or not to exonerate them. It's not in any of the documents. It's not in your appointment order. It's not in the special counsel regulations. It's not in the OLC opinions. It's not in the justice manual. And it's not in the principles of federal prosecution. Nowhere do those words appear together because respectfully, respectfully, director, it was not the special counsel's job to conclusively determine Donald Trump's innocence or to exonerate him. Because the bedrock principle of our justice system is a presumption of innocence. It exists for everyone. Everyone is entitled to it, including sitting presidents. And because there is a presumption of innocence, prosecutors never, ever need to conclusively determine it. Now, Director, the special counsel applied this inverted burden of proof that I can't find and you said doesn't exist anywhere in the department policies, and you used it to write a report. And the very first line of your report. The very first line of your report says, "And as you read this morning, it authorizes the special counsel to provide the attorney general with a confidential report explaining the prosecution or declination decisions reached by the special counsel. That's the very first word of your report, right? That's correct. Here's the problem, director. The special counsel didn't do that. On volume one, you did. On volume two, with respect to potential obstruction of justice, the special counsel made neither a prosecution decision or a declination decision. You made no decision. You told us this morning and in your report that you made no determination. So respectfully, Director, you didn't follow the special counsel regulations. It clearly says, write a confidential report about decisions reached. Nowhere in here does it say, write a report about decisions that weren't reached. You wrote 180 pages. 180 pages about decisions that weren't reached, about potential crimes that weren't charged or decided. And respectfully, respectfully, by doing that, you managed to violate every principle and the most sacred of traditions about prosecutors not offering extra prosecutorial analysis about potential crimes that aren't charged. So Americans need to know this as they listen to the Democrats and socialists on the other side of the aisle, as they do dramatic readings from this report. That volume two of this report was not authorized under the law to be written. It was written to a legal standard that does not exist at the Justice Department. And it was written in violation of every DOJ principle about extra prosecutorial commentary. I agree with the chairman, this morning, when he said Donald Trump is not above the law. He's not. But he damn sure shouldn't be below the law, which is where volume two of this report puts him.
1: you know, let me switch gears. Mr. Shabbat and I were on this committee during the Clinton impeachment. Now, while I recognize that the independent counsel statute under which Kenneth Starr operated is different from the special counsel statute, he in a number of occasions in his report stated that the President Clinton's actions may have risen to impeachable conduct, recognizing that it is up to the House of Representatives to determine what conduct is impeachable. You never use the term raising to impeachable conduct for any of the 10 instances that the gentlewoman from Texas uh, right, right, did is it true that there's nothing in volume two of the report that says that the president may have engaged in impeachable conduct?
4: Well, I, I, we have uh, studiously uh, kept in the, the center of our investigation the our mandate, and our mandate does not go to other ways of addressing conduct, our mandate goes to uh, what, uh, developing the report and turning the report into the attorney
6: general. Gentlemen from Ohio.
7: On page uh, 103 of volume two of your report, when discussing the June 2016 Trump Tower meeting, uh, you referenced, quote, the firm that produced the Steele reporting, unquote. The name of that firm was Fusion GPS. Is that correct? And you're on page 103? 103, that's correct, volume two. When you talk about the, the firm that produced the steel reporting, uh, the name of the firm that produced that was Fusion GPS. Is that correct?
4: Well, yeah. I'm not familiar uh, uh, with, uh, with that. And I,
7: well, did you, let me just did help you. Help up, you. It, it I, I was. It's not, it's not a trick question, right? it, it was Fusion GPS. Now, Fusion GPS produced the opposition research document, widely known as the steel dossier and the owner of Fusion GPA was uh, someone named Glenn Simpson. Are are you familiar with? This is outside my purview. Okay. Um, Glenn Simpson was never mentioned in the 448-page Mueller report, was he? Well, as I say, it's outside my purview, and it's being handled in the department by others. Okay. Well, he he was not. Uh, 448 pages, the, the owner of Fusion GPS, uh, that did the steel dossier, that started all this. Uh, he, he's not mentioned in there. Let me move on. Uh, at the same time uh, Fusion GPS was working to collect opposition research on Donald Trump uh, from foreign sources on behalf of the Clinton campaign and the Democratic National Committee, it also was representing a Russian-based company, Prevazon, which had been sanctioned by the U.S. government. Uh, are you aware of that? That's outside my purview. Okay, thank you.
8: A 2013 puff piece in The Washingtonian about Comey said basically, when Comey called, you'd drop everything you were doing. It gave examples. You're having dinner with your wife and daughter. Comey calls, you drop everything and go. Uh, it, the article quoted Comey as saying, if a train were coming down the track, and I quote, at least Bob Mueller will be standing on the tracks with me. Yeah. Uh, you and James Comey, have been good friends, or were good friends for a, for many years? Correct. No, we were business associates. We
4: both started off in the Justice Department about. You were good time. friends.
8: You can work together and not be friends, but you we and were Comey friends. were friends. We were friends. That's my question. Thank you for getting to the answer. Now, before you were appointed as special counsel, uh, had you talked to James Comey in the preceding six months? No. Uh, when you were appointed as special counsel. Uh, was President uh, Trump's firing of Comey something you anticipated? Investigating potentially obstruction of justice? I okay, not get into that. That's uh, so, internal
4: deliberations in the Justice Department.
8: Actually, it goes to your credibility, and maybe you've been away from the courtroom for a while. Credibility is always relevant; it's always material, and that goes for you too. You're a witness before us. Let me ask you: When you talked to President Trump the day before he appointed, or you were appointed as special counsel? You were talking to him about the FBI director position again. Uh, did he but mention the firing of James not, Comey?
4: Not as a candidate. I was asked. Did me, he as
8: mention me. the firing of James Comey in your discussion with him? Cannot remember. Pardon? Cannot remember. Don't believe so. But don't, I'm not going to be specific. You don't remember. But if he did, you could have been a fact witness. As to the president's comments and state of mind on firing James Comey. I suppose, uh, that's, I suppose that's possible. Yeah. So, most prosecutors want to make sure there's no appearance of impropriety. Uh, but in your case, you hired a bunch of people that did not like the president. Uh, let me ask you when did you first learn of Peter Strzok's animus toward Donald Trump? In the summer of uh, 2017. You didn't know before he was hired? I,
4: I'm sorry? You...
8: you didn't know before he was hired for your team? Uh, know what? Peter Strzok hated Trump. Okay. You didn't know that before he was
4: made part of your team. Is that what did you're not, saying? I did not know that.
8: All right. Uh, when did you I first acted, learn when, we,
4: when he did find out? I, I acted uh, swiftly to have him reassigned elsewhere in the FBI. Well,
8: there's some discussion about how swift that
4: was. But when did you learn of the ongoing
8: affair he was having with Lisa Page? About the same time I, okay. I, I, I um, learned from uh, Struck. Did you ever order anybody to investigate the deletion of all of their texts off of their government uh, phones? Once we found that uh, uh, Peter Strzok uh, was an author of uh, Did you ever-
4: May I finish? Order-
8: Well, you're not answering my question. Did you order an investigation into deletion and reformatting of their government phones? No, there was
4: an IG investigation ongoing. The gentleman yields back, the gentlelady from Alabama.
9: Director Mueller, you just said, um, in response to two different lines of questionings, that you would refer, uh, as it relates to this um, firing discussion, that I would refer you to the report in the way it was characterized in the report. Importantly, the president never said, fire Mueller, or in the investigation, um, and one doesn't necessitate the other, and McGann, in fact, did not resign. He stuck around for a year and a half. On March 24th, Attorney General Barr informed the committee that he had received the Special Counsel's report, and it was not until April 18th that the Attorney General released the report to Congress and the public. When you submitted your report to the Attorney General, did you deliver a redacted version of the report so that he would be able to release it to Congress and the public without delay pursuant to his announcement of his intention to do so during his confirmation hearing?
4: I'm not going to engage in discussion about what happened after the uh, production of our uh, report.
9: Had the attorney general asked you to provide a redacted version of the report?
4: We worked on the redacted versions together.
9: Did um, he ask you for a version where the grand jury material was separated?
4: Not gonna get into details.
9: Is it your belief that an unredacted version of the report um, could be released to Congress or the public?
4: That's not within my purview.
9: Um, Rule 6e material. Why did you not take a similar action so Congress could view this material?
4: Uh, We had a process uh, that we were uh, operating on with uh, the Attorney General's office.
9: Are you aware of any Attorney General going to court to receive similar permission to unredact um, 6e material?
4: I'm not aware of that being done.
9: The Attorney General released the special counsel's report with minimal redactions to the public and an even lesser redacted version to Congress. Did you write the report with the expectation that it would be released publicly?
4: No, we did not have an expectation. We wrote the report uh, understanding that it was uh, uh, demanded by the statute and would go to the Attorney General for uh, further uh, further, approval. Review.
9: And pursuant to the special counsel regulations, who is the only party that must receive the charging decision resulting from the special counsel's investigation?
4: Uh, With regard to the president or generally?
9: No, generally.
4: Uh, Attorney General?
9: At Attorney General Barr's confirmation hearing, he made it clear that he intended to release your report to the public. Do you remember how much of your report had been written at that point? Do not. Um, Were there significant changes in tone or substance of the report made after the announcement that the report would be made available to Congress and the public?
4: I can't get into that.
9: During the Senate testimony of Attorney General William Barr, Senator Kamala Harris asked Mr. Barr um, if he had looked at all the underlying evidence that the special counsel's team had gathered. He stated that he had not. So I'm going to ask you, did you personally review all of the underlying evidence gathered in your investigation?
4: Well, to the extent that it came through the special counsel's office, yes.
9: Did any sing- single mem- member of your team review all the underlying um, evidence gathered uh, during the course of your uh, as
4: As has been recited here today, a substantial amount of work was done, whether it be search warrants or... Or, uh,
9: My point is, is there was no one member of the team that looked at everything.
4: That's what I'm trying to get at.
9: Okay. It's fair to say that in an investigation as comprehensive as yours, um, it's normal that different members uh, of the team would have reviewed different sets of documents, um, and few, if anyone, would have reviewed all of the underlying. Thank you. Yes. How many of the approximately 500 interviews conducted by the special conference did you attend personally? Very few. Very few. On March 27, 2019, you wrote a letter to the Attorney General essentially complaining about the media coverage of your report. You wrote, and I quote, the summary letter the department sent to Congress and released to the public late in the afternoon of March 24 did not fully capture the context, nature, and substance of this office work and conclusions. We communicated that concern to the department on the morning of March 25th. There is now public confusion about critical aspects of the result of our investigation. Who wrote that March 27th letter?
4: Well, uh, I... I can't get into who wrote it, uh, the internal deliberation. But you signed it. What I will say is the letter stands for itself.
9: Okay. Why did you write a formal letter since you had already called the Attorney General to express those concerns?
4: I can't can't get into that internal deliberation.
9: Did you authorize the letters released to the media, or was it leaked?
4: I have no (laughs) knowledge on either.
9: Well, you went nearly two years without a leak. Why was this letter leaked?
4: Well, I, I, I can't get into it.
9: Was this letter written and leaked for the express purpose of attempting to change the narrative about the conclusions of your report? And was anything in Attorney General Barr's letter referred to as principal conclusions the time of the inaccurate? General lady,
5: the time of the General
4: Lady has expired. The Can you answer lady the becomes- question, please? And the question is? Yes, me. you may answer the question.
9: Was anything in Attorney General Barr's letter referred to as the principal conclusions letter dated March 24th inaccurate?
4: Well, I am not going to get into that.
6: The gentlelady yields back. The gentleman from Ohio. Director, of the FBI interviewed Joseph Mifsud on February 10th, 2017. In that interview, Mr. Mifsud lied. You point this out on page 193, volume one, Mifsud denied. Mifsud also falsely stated. In addition, Mipsid omitted. Three times he lied to the FBI, yet you didn't charge him with the crime.
4: Excuse why, me. Did you say one, I'm sorry. Did you say 193?
6: Volume 1, 193. He lied three times. You pointed out in the report. Why didn't you charge him with the crime?
4: Uh, I can't get into uh, internal deliberations with regard to who would or would not be uh
6: charge a lot of other people for making a false statement. Let's remember this. Let's remember this. In 2016, the FBI did something they probably haven't done before. They spied on two American citizens associated with a presidential campaign. George Papadopoulos and Carter Page. With Carter Page, they went to the FISA court. They used the now-famous dossier as part of the reason they were able to get the warrant and spy on Carter Page for a better part of a year. With Mr. Papadopoulos, they didn't go to the court, they used human sources. All kinds of — from about the moment. Papadopoulos joins the Trump campaign. You got all these people all around the world starting to swirl around him. Names like Halper, Downer, Mifsud, Thompson, meeting in Rome, London, all kinds of places. The FBI even sent, even sent a lady posing as somebody else, went by the name Azra Turk, even dispatched her to London to spy on Mr. Papadopoulos. In one of these meetings, Mr. Papadopoulos is talking to a foreign diplomat and he tells the diplomat, Russians have dirt on Clinton. That diplomat then contacts the FBI and the FBI opens an investigation based on that fact. You point this out on page one of the report. July 31st, 2016, they open the investigation based on that piece of information. Diplomat tells Papadopoulos, Russians have dirt, excuse me. Papadopoulos tells a diplomat, Russians have dirt on Clinton. Diplomat tells the FBI, what I'm wondering is, who told Papadopoulos? How'd he find out? I
4: can't get into the evidentiary. Fi- yes, you evidentiary can, because you filing. wrote about it.
6: You gave us the answer. Page 192 of the report, you tell us who told him Joseph Mifsud. Joseph Mifsud's the guy who told Papadopoulos, the mysterious professor who lives in Rome and in London, works at teaching two different universities. This is the guy who told Papadopoulos. He's the guy who starts it all. And when the FBI interviews him, He lies three times, and yet you don't charge him with a crime. You charge Rick Gates for false statements. You charge Paul Manafort for false statements. You charge Michael Cohen with false statements. You charge Michael Flynn, a three-star general, with false statements. But the guy who puts the country through this whole saga starts it all. For three years we've lived this now, he lies, and you guys don't charge him. And I'm curious as to why.
4: Well, I we can't get into it, and uh, and it's obvious, I think, that we can't get into charging decisions.
6: When the FBI interviewed him in February, FBI interviews him in February, when the special counsel's office interviewed Mifsud, did he lie to you guys, too? Can't get into that. Did you interview Mifsud? Can't get into that. Is Mifsud Western intelligence can't or Russian intelligence? Can't get into that.
5: The uh, gentleman from Florida.
10: Director Mueller, can you state with confidence that the Steele dossier was not part of Russia's disinformation
4: campaign? No, as I said in the, uh, my opening statement, I, the, that uh, part of the uh, building of the case was predated me and by at least 10 months. On the week of June 9, who did Russian lawyer Nitskaya meet with
10: more frequently, the Trump campaign or Glenn Simpson, who was functionally acting as an operative for the Democratic National Committee?
4: Well, what I think is missing here is the fact that uh, this is under investigation other in, uh, elsewhere in the Justice Department. And to... if I can finish, sir, and if I can finish, sir, and consequently it's not within my purview, I, Department of Justice and FBI should be responsive to questions on this particular issue. Was there sufficient
11: evidence to convict President Trump or anyone else with obstruction of justice? We did not make that calculation. How could you not have made the calculation because with the regulation? the OLC
4: opinion, the OLC opinion, Office of Legal Counsel, indicates that we cannot indict a sitting president. So one of the tools that a prosecutor would use is not there. Okay, but, but let me just stop.
11: You made the decision on the Russian interference. You, you, you couldn't have indicted the president on that, and you made the decision on that. But when it came to obstruction, you threw a bunch of stuff up against the wall to see what would stick. Well, and that I, is fundamentally I would not unfair. To, I would
4: not agree to that uh, characterization uh, at all. What we did is provide to the attorney general in the form of a confidential memorandum our understanding of the case. Uh, those cases that were brought, those cases that were declined, and uh, the, uh, that one case where uh, the president cannot be charged with a crime. Okay.
11: But the uh, — could you charge the president with a crime after he left office? Yes. You believe that he committed, you could charge the president of the United States with obstruction of justice after he left office? Yes. Uh, Ethically, under the ethical standards?
4: Well, I'm I'm not certain because I haven't looked at the ethical standards, but the OLC opinion opinion says that uh, the prosecutor, while he cannot bring a charge against the sitting president, nonetheless, he can continue the investigation to see if there are any uh, other uh, persons who might be drawn into the conspiracy.
2: Time of the gentleman has expired. The gentleman from Rhode Island. Uh, evidence also suggests that on May 13th, four days before you were appointed special counsel, uh, you met with attorney, former Attorney General Sessions and Rosenstein and you spoke uh, about special counsel. Do you remember that? Not offhand, no. Okay. And on May 16th, the day before you were appointed special counsel, uh, you met with the President and uh, Rod Rosenstein. Do you remember having that meeting? Yes. And discussion of the position of the FBI director took place. Do you remember that? Yes. And um, did you discuss at any time in that meeting uh, Mr. Comey's termination? No. Did you discuss at any time in that meeting uh, the potential appointment of a special counsel? Not necessarily you, but uh, just in general terms. I can't get into the discussions on that. How many times did you speak to Mr. Rosenstein before May 17th, which is the day you got appointed, uh, regarding the appointment of a special counsel? How many times prior to that did you, did you discuss? I can't tell you, you how many times. Is that because you don't recall, or are you, are you, are you just? I, I do not recall. Okay. That, that, thank you. Um, how many times did you speak with Mr. Comey about any investigations pertaining to Russia prior to May 17, 2017? Did you have not any? At all. Zero? Zero. Okay. Gentleman from California.
12: The, 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 the fundamental problem is, is, as I said, we've got to take your word, your team faithfully, accurately, impartially, and completely described all of the underlying evidence in the Mueller report, and we're finding more and more instances where this just isn't the case. And it's starting to look like, you know, having desperately tried and failed to make a legal case against the president, you made a political case instead. You put it in a paper sack, lit it on fire, dropped it on our porch, rang the doorbell, and ran.
4: I don't think you will have reviewed a report that is as thorough, as fair, as consistent as the report that we have in front of us.
13: there's been a lot of talk today about firing the special counsel and curtailing the investigation. Were you ever fired, Mr. Mueller, from the special — c- Were you ever fired as special counsel, Mr. Mueller? Gonna, no. No. Were you, were you allowed to complete your investigation unencumbered? Yes. And, in fact, you resigned as special counsel when you closed up the office in, in late May 20, 2019. Is that correct? That's correct. Thank you. Um, Mr. Mueller, on April 18th, the Attorney General held held a press conference in conjunction with the public release of your report. Did Attorney General Barr say anything inaccurate, either in his press conference or his March 24th letter to Congress, summarizing the principal conclusions of your report?
4: Well, uh, what you are not mentioning is a letter we sent on uh, March 27th. Uh, to Mr. Barr that raised uh, uh, some issues. And that letter speaks for itself. Thank you, Mr. Chair. Uh, Mr.
10: Mueller, over here. Mr. Mueller, did you indeed interview for the FBI director job one day before you were appointed a special counsel?
4: My understanding, I was not uh, applying for the job. I was asked to give uh, my uh, input on what it would take to do the job, which uh, triggered the uh, interview you're talking about.
10: So you don't recall on May 16, 2017, that you interviewed with the President regarding the FBI director
4: job? I interviewed with the President and uh, it was, the about, FBI the director director was job? about the job and not about me applying for the job. So, so your, your statement here today is that
10: you didn't interview to apply for the FBI director job? That's correct. So it, did you tell the Vice President that the FBI director position would be the one job that
7: you would come back to, for? I don't recall that one. You don't recall that? The time, the, uh, gentleman, the uh, gentleman from North Dakota is recognized. Aaron Zelbley, the guy sitting next to you, represented Justin Cooper, a Clinton aide who destroyed one of Clinton's mobile devices. And you must be aware by now that six of your lawyers donated $12,000 directly to Hillary Clinton. I'm not even talking about the 49000 they donated to other Democrats, just the donations to the opponent who was the target of your investigation.
4: Can I speak for a second to the hiring practices?
5: Sure.
7: Uh, we
4: strove to hire those individuals that could do the job. Uh, I've, been, yeah, okay. I've been in this business for almost 25 years, and yep. in those 25 years, I have not had occasion once to ask somebody about their political affiliation. It is not done. What I care about is the capability of the individual to do the job and do the job quickly and seriously and with integrity.
7: I can't imagine a single prosecutor or judge that I have ever appeared in front of would be comfortable with these circumstances where over half of the prosecutorial team had a direct relationship to the opponent of the person being investigated.
4: Let me, one other fact that I, I put on the table, and that is we hired 19 lawyers over the period of time. Of those 19 lawyers, 14 of them were transferred from elsewhere to the Department of Justice. Only five came from outside. And
7: half of them had a direct relationship, political or personal, with the opponent of the person you
12: were investigating. Director Mueller, you are recognized for any opening remarks you'd like to make.
4: Now, before we go to questions, I want to add one correction to my testimony this morning. I want to go back to one thing that was said this morning by Mr. Liu, who said, and I quote, You didn't charge the president because of the OLC opinion. That is not the correct way to say it. As we say in the report and as I said at the opening, we did not reach a determination as to whether the president committed a crime. And with that, Mr. Chairman, I'm to answer questions.
5: Mr. Nunes.
10: As a former FBI director, you'd agree that the FBI is the world's most capable law enforcement agency?
4: I would say we're, yes.
10: The FBI claims the counterintelligence investigation of the Trump campaign began on July 31st, 2016, but in fact, it began before that. In June 2016, before the investigation officially opened, Trump campaign associates Carter Page and Stephen Miller, a current Trump advisor, were invited to attend a symposium at Cambridge University in July 2016. Your office, however, did not investigate who was responsible for inviting these Trump associates to this symposium. Your investigators also failed to interview Stephen Schrage, an American citizen who helped organize the event and invited Carter Page to it. Is that correct? Uh, can you repeat the question? Whether or not uh, you uh, interviewed Stephen Schrage, who organized the Cambridge. Yeah, I'm,
4: in those areas, I am going to uh, stay away from.
10: The first Trump associate to be investigated was General Flynn. Many of the allegations against him stem from false media reports that he had an affair with a Cambridge academic, Svetlana Lokova, and that Lokova was a Russian spy. Some of these allegations were made public in a 2017 article written by British intelligence historian Christopher Andrew. Your report fails to reveal how or why Andrew and his collaborator, Richard Dearlove, former head of Britain's MI6, spread these allegations. And you failed to interview Svetlana Lokova about these matters. Is that correct?
4: I'm not going to get into those uh, matters to which you uh, uh, refer.
10: You had a team of 19 lawyers, uh, 40 agents, uh, and an unlimited budget, correct, Mr. Mueller?
4: I would not say we had an unlimited budget
10: let's continue with the ongoing or the opening of the investigation supposedly on July 31st 2016 the investigation was not opened based on an official product from five eyes intelligence but based on a rumor conveyed by alexander downer on volume 1 page 89 your report describes him blandly as a representative of a foreign government but he was actually a long-time australian politician not a military or intelligence official who had previously arranged a $25 million donation to the Clinton Foundation, and has previous ties to Dear Love. So Downer conveys a rumor he supposedly heard about a conversation between Papadopoulos and Joseph Mifsud. James Comey has publicly called Mifsud a Russian agent, yet your report does not refer to Mifsud as a Russian agent. Mifsud has extensive contacts with Western governments and the FBI. For example, there is a recent photo of him standing next to Boris Johnson, the new Prime Minister of Great Britain. What we're trying to figure out here, Mr. Mueller, is if our NATO allies or Boris Johnson have been compromised. So, we're trying to figure out, Comey says Mifsud is a Russian agent. You do not. So, is do you stand by what's in the report?
4: I'd stand by that which is in the report. and. Not so, necessarily, with that which is, un, uh, which is not in the report.
10: I want to return to Mr. Downer. He denies that Papadopoulos mentioned anything to him about Hillary Clinton's emails, and in fact, MIFSA denies mentioning to, them to that to Papadopoulos. He denies that Papadopoulos mentioned anything to him about Hillary Clinton's emails, and in fact, MIFSA denies mentioning to them to Papadopoulos in the first place. So how does the FBI know to continually ask Papadopoulos about Clinton's emails for the rest of 2016. Even more strangely, your sentencing memo on Papadopoulos blames him for hindering the FBI's ability to potentially detain or arrest Mifsud. But the tr- the truth is, Mifsud waltzed in and out of the United States in December 2016. The US media could find him, the Italian press found him, and he's a supposed Russian agent at the epicenter of the purported collusion conspiracy. He's the guy who knows about Hillary Clinton's emails and that the Russians have them. But the FBI failed to question him for a half a year after officially opening the investigation. And then according to volume one, page 193 of your report, once Mifsud finally was questioned, he made false statements to the FBI. But you declined to charge him. Is that correct? You did not indict Mr. Mifsud? Well,
4: I, I'm not going to speak to the series of uh, happenings as you articulated them.
10: But you did not indict Mr. The time Mifsud? The of the gentleman has expired. Uh, pardon? You did not indict Mr. Mifsud.
4: True.
10: I yield the balance my time to Mr. Reckliff. Thank you.
5: You talked about the exchange that you had with Congressman Liu. I wrote it down a little bit different. I want to ask you about it so that the record is perfectly clear. I recorded that he asked you Quote, the reason you did not indict Donald Trump is because of the OLC opinion stating you cannot indict a sitting president, to which you responded, that is correct. That, that response is inconsistent. I think you'll agree with uh, your written report. Uh, I want to be clear that it is not your intent to change your written report. It is your intent to clarify the record to well, that. I, as
4: I started... Uh, today, this afternoon, and uh, added either a footnote or an Um, endnote. What I wanted to clarify is the fact that we did not make any determination uh, with regard to culpability in any way. We did not start that process down, uh, down the road.
5: Terrific. Thank you for clarifying the record. The stated purpose of your appointment as special counsel was to ensure a full and thorough investigation of the Russian government efforts to interfere in the 2016 presidential election. As part of that full and thorough investigation, what determination did the special counsel office make about whether the Steele dossier was part of the Russian government efforts to interfere in the 2016 presidential election? Uh, again,
4: when it comes to Mr. Steele, uh, I defer to the Department of Justice.
5: Well. <laughs> First of all, Director, I I very much agree with your determination that Russia's efforts were sweeping and systematic. I think it should concern every American. That's why I want to know just how sweeping and systematic those efforts were. I want to find out if Russia interfered with our election by providing false information through sources to Christopher Steele about a Trump conspiracy that you determined didn't exist.
4: I, as again, I'm not going to discuss the issues with regard to uh, Mr. Steele, Uh, 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 and in terms of a portrayal of the conspiracies, uh, we returned two indictments in the uh, computer crimes arena, Uh, one uh, uh, GRU and another uh, active measures in which we lay out in excruciating detail uh, what occurred uh, in those two.
5: Either large
4: conspiracies.
5: I I agree with respect to that. But why this is important is, an application and three renewal applications were submitted by the United States government to spy or surveil on Trump campaign Carter associate uh, or Carter Page, and on all four occasions, the United States government uh, submitted the Steele dossier as a central piece of evidence with respect to that. Now, the basic premise of the dossier, as you know was that there was a well-developed conspiracy of cooperation between the Trump campaign and the Russian government, but the special counsel investigation didn't establish any conspiracy, correct?
4: Well, what I can tell you is that the the events that you are characterizing here now is part of another matter that is being handled by the Department of
5: Justice. But you did not establish any conspiracy, much less a well-developed one. Uh,
4: Again, I, I pass on
5: Uh, Answering that question. The special counsel did not charge
12: Carter Page with anything, correct?
4: special counsel did not.
12: All right. Mr. Turner. Correct. Mr. Muller, I want to focus on one word in your report. It's the second to the last word in the report. It's exonerate. The report states, accordingly, while this report does not conclude that the president committed a crime. It does not exonerate him. Now, in the judiciary hearing in your prior testimony, you've already agreed with Mr. Radcliffe that exonerate is not a legal term, that there is not a legal test for this. Mr. Mueller, would you agree with me that the attorney general does not have the power to exonerate?
4: Uh, I'm going to pass on that. Why? Because it embroils us in a legal discussion. and I'm not prepared to do a legal discussion in that arena.
12: Well, Mr. Mr. Mueller, you would, you would not disagree with me when I say that there is no place that the attorney general has the power to exonerate and he's not been given that authority. You would Again,
4: not disagree. and I'm not going to — I take your question.
12: Great. Right. Well, the one thing that I guess is that the attorney general probably knows that he can't exonerate either. And, and that's the part that kind of confuses me. Because if the attorney general doesn't have the power to exonerate, then you don't have the power to exonerate. And I believe he knows he doesn't have the power to exonerate. And so this is the part that I don't understand. If your report is to the Attorney General, and the Attorney General doesn't have the power to exonerate, and he does not, and he knows that you do not have that power, you don't have to tell him that you're not exonerating the President. He knows this already. So then that kind of changed the context of the report.
4: No, we included it in the report for exactly that reason. He may not know
12: it, and he should know it. So you believe that the attorney, Bill Barr, believes that somewhere in the hallways of the Department of Justice, there's an office of exoneration?
4: No, that's not what I
12: said. Well, I believe he knows, and I don't believe you put that in there for for Mr. Barr. I think you put that in there for exactly what I'm going to discuss next. And that is, so the Washington Post yesterday. When speaking of your report, the article said Trump could not be exonerated of trying to obstruct the investigation itself. Trump could not be exonerated. Now that statement is correct, Mr. Mueller, isn't it? In that no one can be exonerated? The reporter wrote this, that this reporter can't be exonerated. Mr. Mueller, you can't be exonerated. In fact, in our criminal justice system, there is no power or authority to exonerate. Now this is my concern, Mr. Mueller. This is the headline on all of the news channels while you were testifying today. Mueller, Trump was not exonerated. Now, Mr. Mueller, what you know is that this can't say Mueller exonerated Trump because you don't have the power or authority to exonerate Trump. You have no more power to declare him exonerated than you have the power to declare him Anderson Cooper. So the problem that I have here is, That since there's no one in the criminal justice system that has that power, the president pardons, he doesn't exonerate, courts and juries don't declare innocent, they declare not guilty, they don't even declare exoneration. The statement about exoneration is misleading, and it's meaningless, and it it colors this investigation one word out of the entire portion of your report, and it's a meaningless word that has no legal meaning, and it has colored
14: your entire report. The gentleman has expired. Uh, Mr. Hurt. Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Director Mueller, you've, you've been asked many times this afternoon about collusion, obstruction of justice, and impeachment in the Steele dossier, and I don't think your answers are going to change if I ask you about those questions. So I'm gonna ask about a couple of press stories, because a lot of what the American people have received about this um, have been on press stories, and some of that has been wrong, and some of that some of those press stories have been accurate. Um, on April 13th, 2018, McClatchy reported that you had evidence Michael Cohen made a secret trip to Prague during the 2016 presidential election. Um, I think he told the, one of the committees here in Congress that was incorrect. Is that story true?
4: I can't uh, well, I, I can't
14: go into it. Got you. Um, on October 31st, 2016, Slate published a report suggesting that a server at Trump Tower was secretly communicating with Russia's Alpha Bank, and I quote, akin to what criminal syndicates do. Uh, do you know if that story is true? Do not. Do not. You do not. Know whether it's true. So do, did you not investigate these allegations, which are suggestive of potential yeah. Trump-Russia?
4: Because I believe it's not true doesn't do mean it is- would not be in- investigated. It may well have been investigated, although it might believe at this point it's not true.
14: Good copy. Thank you. Um, As a former CIA officer, uh, I want to focus on something I think both sides of the political aisle can agree on. That is, how do we prevent Russian intelligence and other adversaries from doing this again? And after overseeing counterintelligence operations for 12 years as FBI director, and then investigating what the Russians have done in the 2016 election, you've seen tactics, techniques, and results of Russian intelligence operations. Our committee made a recommendation that the FBI should improve its victim notification process when a person entity or campaign has fallen victim to active measures of TAC. Um, would you agree with this with this?
4: It sounds like a worthwhile endeavor. I will tell you though that uh, the ability of our intelligence agencies to work together in this arena is perhaps more important than that. And adopting whatever, and I'm not that familiar with uh, legislation, but whatever uh, legislation will encourage uh, us working together, by us, I mean the FBI, CIA, NSA, and the rest, uh, it should be pursued
14: aggressively early who who do you think should be responsible within the federal government to counter disinformation
4: uh, i'm no longer in the federal government so i
14: <laughs> but, but you have you've I'll had I'll a pass. long career, uh, storied career and i don't think there's anybody who better understands the threat that we are facing than you do you do you have an opinion as a former fbi officer as to as to who should be the coordinating points within the federal government on how to deal with uh, that I, I don't want to wade in those waters a good copy. Um, one of the most striking things in, in your report is that the Internet Research Agency not only undertook a social media campaign in the US, but they were able to organize um, political rallies um, after the election. Um, our, our committee issued a, um, a, a report and, and insight on saying that Russian active measures um, are growing with frequency and intensity and including their expanded use of groups such as uh, the IRA. And these groups pose a significant threat to the United States and our allies in upcoming elections. Would you agree with that?
4: Yes. In fact, one of the uh, other areas that we have to look at are many more companies, not companies, many more countries are developing capability to replicate what the Russians had done.
14: You you alluded to making sure the other all the elements of the federal government should be working together. Do you have a suggestion on a strategy to do that to counter this disinformation? Not overarching. Is this, um, in your investigation, did you think that this was a single attempt by the Russians to get involved in our election, or did you find evidence to suggest they'll try to do this again?
4: Oh, it wasn't a single attempt. Uh, they're doing it as we sit here. And they expect to do it... Uh, 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 During the the next campaign,
0: the Lawfare podcast is produced in cooperation with the Brookings Institution. If you found this useful and feel so inclined, give us a five star rating and review wherever you get your podcasts. You can also purchase Lawfare swag at our online store, www.thelawfarestore.com. I was your editor and audio engineer for this podcast. Thanks for listening.